Um, this is our prayer of illumination. Father, we come to you today asking for justice. You have promised us in multiple places in scripture that if we ask for anything, you will give it. Mark 11, 24 and 25 says, all that you ask for in prayer, believe that you will receive it and it shall be yours. And when you stand to pray, forgive anyone against whom you have a grievance so that your heavenly God may in turn forgive you. Father, help us to have faith that you will bring justice and forgiveness and help us to listen and look for our role in bringing it to pass. We ask for justice for those who have been discriminated against. We ask for justice for those who have been denied due process. We ask for justice for those who voices, whose voices have been silenced. We ask for grace to offer forgiveness when we have been denied justice. We ask for forgiveness for those times when we have denied justice to others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we ask knowing that you fulfill your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Micah 6, 8. If you want to turn to it in your pew Bible, it's page 866. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kat. That was a beautiful prayer. Thank you for leading us. As I've said, it's good to be back here with you all today to worship God as one body in Christ and to continue this study of those, admon uh, those admonishments in Micah. We are to seek the loving kindness of God, that we are to engage in acts of mercy and hum humility and we do this all as acting in the way of God's justice. Let's hear our second scripture reading as we conclude this sermon series. I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 20. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Let us pray. God of justice, lead us this day into acts of care and mercy and engagement with our neighbor, that we would be people of action, people who see your justice as a call to engage our life in the world our faith in the world. Christ, go with us as we do so. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever, O Lord. Amen. 
So one of my favorite theological writers these days is James K.A. Smith. He teaches at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and has published a series of books on Christian spiritual formation called Desiring the Kingdom, Imagining the Kingdom, and Awaiting the King. Uh, he has a more synthesized one-volume version of these books. It's called You Are What You Love, which he puts all of these books into a point in this one volume. We are formed by what we love and devote ourselves to. So let me ask, what do you love? Say a few things for me. What comes to mind? What do you love? Children, dogs, trees, flowers? The water, the air, yeah. I love seeing my six-year-old in the pews for the first time in a very long time. Hi, Asher. <laughs> what do you love? Words. What we love, what we wake up in the morning thinking about, what we inevitably find ourselves doing when we have free time, these are the things that form us. Now, these last few weeks, especially this summer, I've been out in the woods a bit more. Stacy and I have gone hiking and enjoying beautiful Whatcom County. And I would say that I love the evergreen trees that we have here. And I am formed by them. I'm shaped by the terrain. My body, as I climb up a mountain, is formed. I'm shaped by the, the air that I breathe into my lungs, the clean air, or the wind blowing through the branches. It tunes my heart, and I love these forests and trees, and I'm made more of myself by attending to them. Now, in Smith's book, he teaches that we are actually made by the things that we love. So, you know I love coffee. Well, the habits that we have around drinking coffee form us. They impact our wallet, our attitude, our ability to function in the morning. Or perhaps you're a Seattle Sounders fan or a Seattle Seahawks fan or, or you're excited for the Kraken to begin the hockey season this year. Those fan clubs have different cultures and ways of being around them that form their fans unto a love of that particular team. Now, you would contrast that with another team and their own culture, and that's where we get rivalries, because different communities are formed in different ways unto those teams that they love. I say all of this because we need to be reminded that what we do, eat, listen to, and ultimately what we love will form ourselves. We're also prone to lose our way, to get distracted, and to find ourselves wandering down a path of loving things which aren't good for us, which aren't forming us into being the people God has made us to be. This is what we hear a bit more in the Micah text today. The full text of Micah 6 lays out questions for its listeners. What does it mean to be faithful to God? Does it come through burnt offerings? Does it come from rivers of oil being poured out? 
And are these practices that lead to the pleasure of God's goodness and God's presence? In fact, Micah actually seems to be outlining a historic struggle that God's people have had as they try to find the right practices to love and live in God's way. If you unpack this chapter of Micah, you can see references to the early stories of the Hebrew people with the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can also hear echoes of the Egypt story and Moses' call to shepherd the people to the promised land. And through these echoes, we see a picture of what the people intended to do to be formed in God's way and what God actually requires of them. Is it all the stuff of religious rituals that God requires? Are those the things that are meant to form us? Well, certainly we know they help. They're a part of us finding our way to God, at least in the ways that these ancient people did them. But when it comes down to it, something else is required that transcends all the rituals. What God requires of us is that we take stock of what we truly love and find that what is good is not wrapped up in particular rituals, but rather a matter of hearts that are tuned to acts of justice, kindness, and humility. When I encounter the Micah text, I typically want to rush to those words, justice, kindness, humility. These are the activities of the good life, the good way, right? Yes, but as I've studied this, I want to slow us down a little bit and look at other words in this passage. Specifically, let's look at the action words there. Do, love, and walk. If you put do, love, and walk in front of the things that we love and desire, then we can clearly see that it's not simply adequate to have loving thoughts or humble action or humble, humble, humble thoughts and praying good things, but actually we need to engage in the world. Some of you know that I've begun my doctoral studies this last year, and I'm doing a, a doctorate in spiritual formation and leadership. As I've begun this work, it's become clear that I need to invest time and energy into putting words around justice and the issues that we face in our nation, specifically regarding racism and white privilege. And as I've watched the racial unveiling going on in our world, I've wondered at where the church is in advocating and acting for justice. To put a very fine point on it, I've been frustrated by the witness of so few pastors and ministry leaders who have instead decided to shy away from directly confronting these issues of racism and white supremacy. It's safer to speak in generalities or to avoid those topics altogether because it, it makes us uncomfortable, it ruffles our feathers, and so we choose to stay silent. I've wondered at this. Because who is going to speak for justice and stand up if not the church? Is this not our calling? Isn't it our work to do justice by standing up and putting our own necks on the line for those who face systemic racism day after day? 
This, for me, is where the actions of doing, loving, and walking have to take real form. As we see in both of our texts today, both Micah and Luke, God is not interested in spiritual acts which form us to be good followers of ritual. God is interested in setting captives free. You see the action that's involved there? God is interested in liberating people from bondage, bringing justice for the oppressed. And both Micah and Jesus, Jesus using Isaiah's words, are pointing the finger directly at religious folks and saying, look, your piety is not enough alone. God is about true freedom and liberation in action. I got into a conversation with a friend on the 4th of July about the phrase that we use, liberty and justice for all. We were remarking about how the words liberty and justice get a lot of individual attention. But what about the word and? And what about the words for all? Can we be a liberated, free people if injustice is not, if justice is not afforded for some? Can we have liberty without justice? What kind of world would that be? Well, unfortunately, I think we're seeing what kind of world that can be. As we deal with this worldwide pandemic, personal liberty actually looks like it's opposed to justice in a lot of ways that we're doing things as a world. Liberty and justice can be achieved only when they are together and they are for all. Do we want people to be free? Yes. Then all people need to be treated justly. Take that down whatever appropriate road you need to take that for your life today. All people require justice in order to be free. In this conversation with my friend, I felt saddened because I don't see those two principles linked very well much of the time. And then as we step back into the scriptures, we see the same force wanting to pull us apart from our pursuit of justice, kindness, and humility. We may take one or two, but not all three together. It's a lot more than I'm up for. Thank you very much. This is why these texts today are so important for us to wrestle with and seek to be formed by to turn our love and devotion towards what they are requiring of us. You heard Jan and Doug the last couple weeks speak about humility and kindness and how these weave together with justice. And I love that we use this text for our pulpit swap because we can't have one piece of it without the others. And so my call today for us is that we do justice. Back for a moment to the conversation about racial justice and the role of the church in America. In my initial studies, I've explored a number of texts in the scriptures that point to God's direct action and engagement with people in need of liberation, freedom for the oppressed. In particular, this moment of Jesus standing in the synagogue 
which we count as the inauguration of his active ministry. This moment is a direct call for justice in active ways. Jesus doesn't get up and use his own words to tell the people of God that justice is required for the hurting and the poor. Instead, he uses the words of the respected prophet Isaiah. The school of the prophet Isaiah taught the people of Israel through prophetic words before, during, and in return from the Babylonian exile. The people were aware that they were missing the mark, falling away from being the kind of community of justice that God had called them to be. Isaiah's book can be seen as a kind of redefinition of what it means for God's people to serve and be faithful when all the world around them has changed. The servant of the Lord, who is modeled in Jesus, lives out and defines for his followers this way of justice as one that acts for the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. The way of justice is to usher in the year of the Lord's favor, the jubilee, in which all debts are forgiven. Land is returned to its rightful owner. And a great leveling of the social playing field happens for all people, rich and poor. Do we hear this? Jesus' first public words in ministry are a call to people's action in justice, to active liberation of those in need. As I look at the questions of justice in America, I can see the call for the church is not to shy away or only partially engage. Rather, it is our call to get right in and be part of the fight, to stand up and actively engage the struggle with our whole selves, voices, bodies, hands, feet, money, time, prayer, energy, all of it, actively. Jesus could have easily instead stood up in the synagogue and read from a very pastoral psalm, perhaps reminding us of God's abiding presence as we walk through life's troubles. Perhaps he'd remind his listeners that they were like trees planted by uh, streams of rich water that would fill them up and make them strong in their faith. It would be a nice reminder that God is faithful and our devotion to God is fulfilling. And this is all well and good, but that's not what Jesus does. Rather, Jesus goes straight to the heart of God's way by pointing out the necessity of liberating action by God's people. Jesus' call to us seems impossible, yet it is the requisite task of actively seeking justice through our deeds, through what we do in the world that we must take up. And here's where it comes home. Let's go back to the beginning where we talked about what we love forming us. In light of what we know about how what we love forms us, which you might be wondering about my love of pizza and how it has kind of formed me a bit more thicker over the course of this pandemic. In light of this knowledge, and in light of what we've heard in these texts, let's put this together. We are what we love. 
And we are called again and again through the scriptures to love justice and liberation for all people. We are called, required to love justice, to do justice in ways that spring forth from a heart formed in the way of God's love in the world. So friends, do you love justice? Do we as a church love justice? So how then will we do justice? I think the way we start is that we check our actions and we check what it is that we love. Is what I love contributing to the justice and freedom of others? Or am I simply still working out in that liberty side of the equation? I have the liberty to reflect upon and consider and ruminate about justice. But does what I actually do, how I actually live, contribute to the justice of all people and not just myself? I want to think about it this way. Does what I do contribute to justice for you? And does what you do contribute to justice for me? It's a very simple way of thinking about it. What we do, my friends, matters. Not just what we believe, not just what we think, but what we actually do. And our actions are doing in the world, it impacts people. As much as I'd like to think that my activities only affect me and those close to me, they have a much far-reaching impact. So what does the Lord require of us? That we speak and act and live for justice. That phrase, liberty and justice for all, that's not our call. In fact, our pursuit of individual liberty is in many cases counter to the work of justice that our faith requires. God requires God's people to live and act for justice. In Jesus Christ, we live for justice. In Christ, we set captives free. And in Christ, we see one who set all liberty aside and pursued justice with his whole being, even unto death. Friends, may we go and do likewise. Pray with me. God of justice, all of our words and all of our thoughts can stir us up so much into uh, thinking that we are doing something but Lord, we ask that you help us put the next step into play. That we would find places in our world today, in our individual lives, to do the work of justice, of setting captives free, of releasing others from bondage, and in doing so, being released ourselves. God, we long for the kind of life that helps us understand what it means to set liberty aside and to pursue an emptying of ourselves for the good of others. Lord, may we be a community that models this. May we, as your people, follow in your way of just action. 
And Lord, make up for all that we cannot do. Strengthen us in our weakness. Guide us on our way, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.